This is the fifth day of this July 2022 seven-day session. And we're back to the text, our text from yesterday, uh, the uh, teachings of uh, the 12th century Chinese master Yuan Wu. The text is called Zen Letters, translated by the Cleary Brothers. <clears throat> Some of this uh, will sound familiar from <clears throat> uh, Muso Kokshi earlier in the session. What is important is to respect the root and extend it to the branches. This will benefit both root and branches and also illuminate the legitimate and fundamental task of people of complete enlightenment and comprehensive mastery. If you work hard to carry this out, you will surely improve. <clears throat> the root of our tradition, the root of in our tradition is uh, Zen practice, the, the actual practice of the moving and, and a stationary practice of emptying the mind. And uh, in the moving part, that means whatever we do to do it no-mindedly, to notice when thoughts are intruding, and uh, return to just this, what we're doing. That may mean the koan. Respect the root and extend it to the branches. To, so then to bring into all of our, uh, every aspect of our daily life, this still mind, this empty mind, such as we can find it. For someone working on a koan, the root is the, yes, the koan, but ideally the questioning of the koan. <clears throat> Everything comes from that. Upholding the precepts, repentance, giving, many good deeds in the way of right living all come from zazen. Strictly speaking, zazen means sitting. Za means sitting. Uh, but really, it's, it's anything we do with a mind of stabilized awareness where we're not holding on to anything in the mind. The branches, just briefly, because we covered this earlier in Sashin, is all the secondary practices of Zen, the, uh, the devotions, the rituals, chanting, prostrations, uh, very whatever ceremonies might be able to take part in. But also, the branches are, you could say, much more broadly, are words speech to bring that no mind that stillness that that emptiness into our speech conversations what does that mean well uh, for example it can mean allowing 
some silence uh, in our talk and then certainly uh, listening being able to to be quiet and listen it's a is more more um, evidence that this is a, a, a terrific asset for anyone in any any walk of life to be able to be quiet and listen when it's called for, and then speak when it's called for. We could say that uh, <clears throat> in a in a in a way. Uh, the uh, in, in intense concentration, it's a kind of listening. When questioning a koan, uh, there's the question, and then there is naturally the listening for a response. When we're really absorbed in mu and questioning mu, we're listening. When Mother Teresa of Calcutta had become world famous, a journalist uh, asked her in an interview, uh, <clears throat> when you pray, Mother, wh- uh, what do you ask for? And uh, she said, oh, nothing, I, I just listen. And the journalist now is really interested. He said, well, what, what does God say to you? And she said, oh, he's just listening too. It's, that suggests quite an intimate relationship to God as she understands him that um, if she's listening and they're not two then of course he's listening though when you when you reach a certain uh, depth of concentration with the koan it's the whole subject object thing just kind of breaks down. Am I calling to Mu or is Mu calling to me? Am I asking what is this or am I being asked? He continues, in general, to follow the path and seek out the mystery, you must have a great basis in faith. You must use this faith to believe in a deep sense that this matter does not lie in words or in any of the many states of mind. In fact, in truth, the way is right where you stand. in a very nuts and bolts kind of way. Faith 
really means uh, faith in the practice. Uh, but more, more broadly, means faith that there is something beyond our ordinary mind that can be understood. Something beyond answers that can be realized. Put aside the crazy and false mind that has been concocting your knowledge and understanding and make it so that nothing whatsoever is weighing on your mind. Fully take up this matter in your perfect, wondrous, inherent nature, which is fundamentally pure and quiescent. Subject and object are both forgotten and the road of words and thoughts is cut off. You open through and clearly see your original face. Make it so that once found, it is found forever and remains solid and unmoving. The words don't settle for a um, small kensho. wondrous path of the enlightened ones is straight and direct. They just pointed directly to the human mind so we would work to see its true nature and achieve enlightenment. This mind source is originally empty and peaceful, clear and wondrous, and free from the slightest obstruction. But we screen it off with false thoughts and give rise to defilements and blockages in this unobstructed one. We turn our backs on the fundamental and pursue the trivial and foolishly revolve in the cycle of routine. Boy, that uh, captures uh, what, what for so many of us our lives are. Pursue the trivial and foolishly revolve in the cycle of routine. Busy, 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 busy. No time to sit. Gotta keep busy. Gotta be run here, run there. Do this, do that. Check in every 10 minutes in Facebook. to spend our life doing these things. There's something more 
there was a uh, some graffiti on a on a wall I saw once. It was in Santa Fe, I think. It said, "Work, buy, consume, die." consuming the endless endless ways of consuming mostly on the internet but we can find all kinds of other ways we can avoid facing our inevitable death by consuming if you have great capacity you won't seek outside anymore right where you stand you will come forth an independent realization when the transitory blinders of false perception have been dissolved the original correct perception is complete and wondrous This is called the identity of mind and Buddha. There's a famous koan in the in the Mumonkan. What is Buddha? That means really what is uh, ultimate truth, and the answer is this very mind is Buddha. This uh, reference to blinders and perception and. Uh, Zen practice has been compared to uh, cleaning one's glasses, one's eyeglasses. Uh, emphasizing the point that it's it's when all is said and done, um, much of our unhappiness comes from just false seeing things falsely, that's not seeing things wholly. seeing others as other not self seeing things in terms of us and them separation in a word separation it's probably uh, the closest thing we have in zen to the word sin is separation separating ourselves from others separating ourselves from our circumstances and the conditions we find ourselves in the practice of joining with the breath or the koan or shikantaza this is practice in non-separation better we get at it the more we can bring that into our lives and not separate ourselves from others it's a, it's 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 really it takes practice because for so long we have just been reflexively separating ourselves dividing the world 
in these ways. So it takes a lot of sustained effort to, I don't know, lay down new circuitry so we don't just instinctively uh, see others as apart from us, see circumstances as, as apart from us. From this, once realized, it is realized forever. It is like, he's talking about deep enlightenment, it is like the bottom falling out of a bucket. You open through and merge with the way, and there is nothing occupying your mind. Beholding the essence, pure and still, you receive the use of it and have no more doubts. Then when one is comprehended, all are comprehended. The falling rain itself is presenting this essence, pure, still, even in its movement, there's stillness. Ancients were always mindful of this matter. Whether deep in the mountain valleys or in the bustling villages and towns, they never turned their backs on it for an instant. It's the matter of awareness, presence. Whatever scenes or circumstances they encountered, Amidst sound and form in the course of movement and action, they invariably turned around and focused back on their own true selves. The practice of all practitioners since time immemorial who completely penetrated through was none other than this. This phrase, turned around and focused back on their own true selves. This is not, of course, uh, um, in some uh, articulated, deliberate way, saying, oh yes, don't forget my true self, don't forget my true self. It's, it's, uh, it's not, but maybe it's easier to put in the negative. It's not 
being fully bound by conditions or, or circumstances, not enmeshed in them, having some, some uh, what might call meta-awareness, a little distance of seeing what's, what's going on. It's another way of understanding mindfulness, not getting caught in the story, the melodrama. This is not something we have to assign ourselves as some kind of a, a project. It, it happens, it unfolds through long practice where we feel this, this, this uh, measure of, of freedom from the world. Uh, that's what I mean by a little distance, uh, awareness. Not, uh, or to put it maybe in a better way, not just blindly reacting to people and things. It was uh, Rinzai who said, on the outside, cut off all attachments. On the inside, make your mind like a mountain and enter the way. Yeah, non-attachment. And there is a world of difference between non-attachment and oneness. It's, uh, It's a very subtle but very important difference not to separate ourselves but not to be attached things. Thus, with their fundamental basis firm and strong, they were not blown around following the wind of objects. They were serene and at peace and did not fall into the scope of feelings of holy and ordinary. They came directly to great cessation and great rest. They found the seat and put on the robe. You could say just uh, making everything the practice. Now you are returning to your home village the letter continues, able to see as the ancients saw. If you can make it continuous and unbroken, how will it be any different than when you were in the monastery being guided by the abbot and doing your meditation work? If you turn your back on it at all and there is some break in the continuity, then you will lose contact. Reminds me of what I was just uh, saying this morning, not or last, yesterday, not to uh, leave your practice behind in the zendo when you go out for break periods or meals. Don't turn your back on it. Keep it continuous as much as you can. And when you find that you haven't kept it continuous, then don't make a big issue out of it. Just pick it back up. Pick the practice back up. I wasted so much time 
in Sashin, beating myself up during break periods or even during sitting, uh, having lost it, having lost the koan, uh, instead of just going back to it. This is where the self really does its dirty work. There's the noticing that we've lost it. You don't need to bring the self in then, just back to the practice. Why, why make it about oneself? It takes a long time for some of us. It takes a long time to break this habit of commenting on our failures. It's immediately skipping that step and returning to the practice. So apparently this, uh, this letter he's writing to someone who's, uh, uh, or maybe his monks, as they are about to uh, leave to go on a pilgrimage, because he, he ends, we are about to part, so remember these words. Another time in the future, don't look back and blame me for not admonishing you. come to, to believe that there's so much of what I say and what, what any teacher says that's just not not being heard or not being taken seriously. We say these things because it's the way things are. It's the truth. And maybe in hopes that when the student catches up and discovers for herself or himself discovers the truth of it, that maybe it'll boost their faith in the Dharma, their teacher. Just one um, paragraph here where he's he's urging his monks to be to be simple, keep it simple, uh, not to try to be clever. It, he says, "Never make any displays of clever tricks. Be like a stolid simpleton in a village of three families." Among the enlightened practitioners, being able to speak the truth has nothing to do with the tongue, and being able to talk about the Dharma is not a matter of words. This is, uh, I think, so so alien to uh, most churches and synagogues, um, where being articulate is is so, so highly valued, much more so than in Zen. In, in, uh, 
in Japan, I've read, uh, they don't trust politicians who are too eloquent because it means that what they're saying can't be coming really from the heart. It can't be coming from the guts. Too clever. Too smart. Not genuine. Clearly we know that the words spoken by the ancients were not meant to be passively dependent on. Anything the ancients said was intended only so that people would directly experience the fundamental reality. Thus, the teachings of the sutras are like a finger pointing to the moon, and the sayings of the Zen masters are like a piece of tile used to knock on a door. Great, great analogies. Don't mistake the finger. Don't mistake the words for the reality that they point to. Don't mistake the tile or the brick uh, for the sound it makes on the door. And he says, if you know this, then rest. If your practice is continuous and meticulous and your application broad and all-pervading and you do not deviate from this over the years, then you will mature in your ability to handle the teachings, to gather up and to release, and you will be able to see through petty things and cut them off without it leaving a trace. This phrase, to see through petty things, You know, in the depth of, of Zazen, especially in Sashin, just about everything seems petty compared to the moment, what's happening, the present. This is the, the great gift of Sashin. It, it, it offers a, 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 a new perspective It's like uh, getting, again, getting some distance. And from the distance, from the 20,000-foot altitude, things, we see things so differently. We, we come to, to know, to, to know what is important, what matters in this life that will pass all too quickly. Petty concerns that clog our minds outside of Sashin get flushed out in Sashin. We see things in a whole different way. This is what gives us, gives us the ability to make changes in our life that need to be changed.
uh, establish priorities that that really match what our real values are, our longings, how to use our time. Then when you come to the juncture of death and birth, where all the lines intersect, you won't get mixed up. You will be clear and immovable, and you will be set free as you leave this life behind. This is deathbed Zen for the last day of your life. It's uh, certainly true that these, the ways in which we grow in Sashin, the ways we, we come, the new things we come to see uh, will serve us very well when we are on our deathbeds. Just don't see how anyone could argue otherwise. That change of perspective, seeing things that what matters and what doesn't. But it would be a shame to for it to not have this kind new kind of seeing until that late. It, sure, it will. It'll help on our deathbeds, but it also helps in our lives going forth. He might be using this example of <clears throat> what will help you on your deathbed uh, to get people's attention, especially people who have a fear of death, so that they might practice. Uh, but what really comes from it is far more than any uh, great resources on our deathbed. It's resources in our daily lives. Because what is dying but, but letting go? And that's arguably the most important thing we can bring into life is be the ability to let go. To yield rather than to fight. To listen. To open rather than be closed. It's, this, it's the secret to dying. It's the secret to living. another letter in visiting enlightened teachers and questioning them you must see essential nature and awaken to the truth as you directly forget feelings and put an end to views you are inwardly washed clean you become like a simpleton not calculating gain and loss not contending for superiority favorable or adverse, you cut everything off and don't let it continue. After a long time at this, you naturally arrive at the stage 
where there are no contrived activities and no concerns. Uh, this phrase, as you directly forget feelings and put an end to views, getting, meaning getting free of um, bondage to feelings, not denying feelings, if anything, becoming more feeling. In Zen, Roshi Kapoor used to say, in Zen, in Zen we're trying to uh, do less talking and thinking and more feeling and acting. But then not to cling to our feelings. This is the point. Or our views, our opinions, our ideas. And then he picks up on this last phrase where there are no contrived activities and no concerns. As soon as you have the slightest wish to be unconcerned, a concern has already arisen. Once one wave goes into motion, myriad waves follow. When will it ever stop? When death comes upon you in that condition, you will be frantic and confused simply because you are not free and clear. Just make this work sure and true and naturally, even in a noisy marketplace, it will be silent and still as water. Why worry then that you will not accomplish your task? I it would understand this in contemporary terms as naturally, even in a noisy internet site, Facebook, where people are shrieking their opinions and bullying and everything else, the noise, the noise of online life. Be still and silent as one. This is a, this is a very, very lofty state, a very advanced state to not be affected by and not react to, not react to all of the trash that's on the internet. There's a saying in Zen, great winds are powerless to disturb the water of a deep well. I'm afraid I can't compete anymore with this rain, so we'll stop now and recite the four vows. <laughs>